And this is KDMA's A Real Date Night. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And we are in week number four of our podcast. And tonight's podcast brought to you in part by the Rusty Duck. There's always something good at the duck. There definitely is. And so far, we've enjoyed a couple different meals, compliments of the Rusty Duck. They catered our Sasquatch sleepover for our sister station, Bigfoot 105.5, with their absolutely amazing, delicious ribs. And those ribs were a spiritual experience. They were. They were definitely a religious experience. And I'm just going to say it. Best ribs I've ever had. They were amazing. And this week... Tom really held nothing back. He he hooked us up with what looks to be a, a surplus of meats in the form of delicious steaks. Yeah, tonight is steak night at the Rusty Duck. Although, when you're hearing it on Friday, it'll be ribs night. It will be. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Whatever you're thinking about doing for dinner, cancel your plans. Go to the Rusty Duck in Dawson. Their ribs are worth it. They are worth it. It is... Uh... We're not even being paid to say this. It's just a, a stone cold fact. They are a religious experience and something that we just both just absolutely enjoyed. Yes, I've had ribs from all over. I've lived in a couple different barbecue capitals and I have to say their ribs were amazing. But let's talk about these steaks that we have. We have a amazing looking hamburger steak that is just absolutely smothered in onions and mushrooms and cheese and... I'm not from around here, and whenever I think of hamburger steak, it doesn't really it doesn't really strike a happy, like amazing feeling inside of me. But seeing a hamburger steak, especially this one from the Rusty Duck, oh my gosh, Clint! Look at the size of it. that thing. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's also a sirloin and a ribeye. Yes, along with their house salads, we've got baked potatoes, we've got the garlic breadsticks. That this is quite the spread. Yeah, so we're going to be enjoying this meal tonight. We were supposed to have a guest. They unfortunately could not make it, weather being what it is. So, you know, we're going to enjoy their meal on their behalf. Yes, and we will be sure to let them know exactly how delicious it was. Like Clint said, we have some unprecedented weather going on right now. It is October, and we still have about three and a half inches of the almost seven inches we got a couple days ago. And it is currently snowing. Yeah, you know... Febtober. Febtober, yes. So tonight we are going to be watching The Ring. And The Ring is one of my absolute favorite horror movies of all time. It came out in... 2002. 2002, the American version. The Japanese version that it was based off of came out in 1998. And the Japanese version was actually based off of a book that came out in 1991. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, Josie, you've got a lot of insight on that. And next week is our last horror week for the podcast. And next week is also the night before Halloween. Not exactly sure what we've got on tap yet, but so far it's gotten bigger and better each week. And thank you to everyone who is listening. And if you are not familiar, you can now subscribe on Apple and listen to KDMA Real Date Night on your Apple Podcasts. Yes, and as soon as we put up a new episode, your phone will go ahead and send you a notification. And if you have it set up, it'll automatically download it for you. So that way, whenever you're out and about, you can just go ahead and put it on. So we're on what? About eight different 
streaming platforms now, including Apple, Spotify, Google. I think we're on nine now because we have a few others with uh, Spotify, you said. There's the Google. I think we're on Amazon now. If not, we're pending for Amazon Podcasts. So yeah, there's if there is a podcast platform out there, you can listen to Katie May's Real Date Night on that. So let's talk about The Ring. Before we jump into the movie, go ahead, Josie, give the backstory on how this all came to be starting in 1991. So 1991, the book came out and the book was written by, I'm gonna, I might possibly botch the, spell, the pronunciation, but Koji Suzuki. And it was a novel talking about uh, a reporter who's racing to investigate a mystery behind a curse videotape, which is the plot we all know and love from Ring and Ringu, which is the Japanese version. The book was highly successful, and the Japanese version, Ringu, was amazingly successful. And it ended up being recreated in 2002 with the version that we're seeing tonight. And this, it was one of the first movies that was taken as a Japanese horror movie and adapted and Americanized. And the success of this movie led to the iterations of, uh, you had like The Grudge, uh, you had just kind of a big onslaught of foreign horror that came in. And what I find interesting is the backstory of The Ring. It really actually has a lot of just amazing ties to Japanese folklore. I, are you familiar with uh, Okiku, Clint? A, l- a little bit, but go ahead and enlighten the people that are not. So there, there's a ghost story of kind of like a folklore variety um, in Japan, and there are a dozen and a half different versions of this story. So I'm going to try to give a little bit of a blanket, just summary of this story where there was a girl that worked inside of a castle and she was a servant. And one of the lords of the castle was somebody that she had fallen in love with. And she happened to overhear that there was a plan to overthrow and kill him. So Okiku went to her lord and told her about it, and he said that he loved her, and they agreed that one day that they were going to get married and live happily ever after, but because of the death threat, he needed to bounce. So he went off on his merry way, and the people inside of the castle that were behind the conspiracy kind of sniffed out that somebody was behind him knowing that there was a death threat. So They kind of launched a little bit of an investigation, and they decided that it had to have been Okiku. Well, they tried kind of blackmailing her of saying, you know, hey, you need to, you know, you're beautiful. We love you. You should marry me, um, one of the captors, and said, you know, if you you marry me and you agree to love me, then we'll let you live. And she basically said, no, I'm good. Um, I'm in love with somebody else. Thanks. No thanks. And this continued for a while. And like I said, I'm giving a very rough rough, rough summary of this. Basically, after a lot of pressing to try to get Okiku to agree to marry him, he decided, you know, she's just not going to do it. So he decided that blackmail was a great way to win her heart. That always works. It You, you would think. So inside of the castle, there were these 10 plates. There were these big, fancy, decorative plates that were apparently very expensive and were very well guarded inside of the castle. Like my cousin Ricky's NASCAR commemorative plates? More like Grandma Martha's Mallard Duck plates. Ah, okay. Yes, but much fancier. So there were 10 of these plates, and this is where there's a few different versions of the story. Sometimes the telling is that 
The guy broke one of the plates. Sometimes the telling is that he hid one of the plates. Anyways, one of the plates was missing. There was chaos in the castle, and they decided to pin the blame on Okiku. And she's going absolutely nuts saying, you know, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. She's looking all over for the plates. And the story basically goes that the guy... Once again, tried extortion and blackmail saying, you know, love me, love me, or else I'm going to go ahead and tell them that you have the plate or I'm going to break the plate. She said no. He ended up either hiding or breaking the plate, depending on the story that you're listening to or the way that you're hearing it. And he ended up killing her and throwing her down the well that was in front of the castle head first. Well, the story continues that at sundown every night, Okiku would come climbing out of the well and counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, never reaching 10. Some iterations of the story have her coming out every single night, regardless of what's going on. Some of them have her coming up and killing the captor. There's a lot of different lore. There's supposedly a shrine where somebody was pulled out of a well. Some people say it's Okiku. Once again, folklore. So so th- things went down well for her. They they went down very well. I, I see what you did there. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the, the puns are going to come in rapid fire in succession tonight. Lower your expectations tonight. <laughs> like I said, this this is a folklore, and there are at least two, three different dozen versions of this story. However, the girl climbing out of the well is an old, old, old Japanese folk legend that has been around for hundreds of years. And I found it really cool that they had a reimagining with that with Samara. And tonight, I didn't even know, you told me something really interesting about the tree in the movie. Yeah, so the tree that they keep showing inside of the movie, The Ring, it is a Japanese maple, I believe. But the fruit of this tree is actually called a Samara. And, you know, there's some, there's not a lot about horror movies that I don't know in general. That was something that I did not know that uh, you kind of enlightened me on before we sat down. So that was really cool. My main interest when it comes to horror, I absolutely love foreign horror, as you know, but anything to do with supernatural, hauntings, poltergeists, creepy children, anything of those different arenas, those are usually my favorite. But the ring encompasses, if you would say, circles all of them. It does. And, you know, it's one of those movies that it's a slow burn. There's not a lot of the horror element that's like directly in your face, and it's more psychological It's more, you know that doom is happening and you want to find out if the characters are going to avoid their doom. And there just really isn't. And for those that know me, I'm the, I'm the slasher guy. You know, if there is corn syrup, sign me up. I'm more of a fan of the suspense, nail biting. You don't really know what's going to happen until it happens. Supernatural type of horror person, the, the more slow burn, sneaky horror. And with that, that is going to bring us into our first break. When we come back in segment number two of tonight's Real Date Night podcast, we are going to break down a little bit of the movie, but we're really going to break down this dinner that was provided to us by our good friends and our main sponsor for tonight, the Rusty Duck in Dawson. You are listening to KDMA's Real Date Night. The Rusty Duck in Dawson is open from 11 a.m. until 1 a.m. Monday to Friday, Saturday from 10 a.m. until 1 a.m., and Sundays from 11 a.m. until 7. They have amazing daily food and drink specials, including a daily lunch buffet. 
be sure to stop by on Saturdays for their meat raffle. A winner is pulled every Saturday at 4 p.m. To place a to-go order or more information, call the Duck at 320-769-2544. There's always something good cooking at the Rusty Duck in Dawson. Ellingbow Well Drilling is not only your full-service well contractor, but now they do industrial, commercial, farm and residential wet or dry vac services. Our industrial convac truck can suck up wet or dry material, water, mud, rocks, moldy grains, and more. It also can be used in soft excavation or to clean drainage tile inlet lines or any other material wet or dry. This truck can do it all. For a free estimate, give them a call today at 320-269-8052. Family-owned, veteran-employed, that's Ellingbow Well Drilling. Segment number two of KDMA's Real Date Night. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And tonight we are breaking down the movie The Ring, the 2002, I would call it a classic by now, Naomi Watts thriller. That sprung off of the uh, Japanese movie called Ringu. Yes. And what's awesome is up until Stephen King's It in 2017, this movie was actually the highest grossing horror remake in history. Well, yeah, 2017, when Mike Flanagan got a hold of It, he shattered lots and lots of box office records, including, if I'm not mistaken, the highest rated R movie that ever grossed in box office history. But what's amazing about the record set with this, this movie wasn't very heavily advertised. One of the commercials was actually the tape that you see, the the tape that if you watch it, you're supposed to die within seven days. That was actually used as a commercial, but never was it revealed what it was for. It was just an ominous commercial that would just clip onto your TV. And the movie wasn't going to be originally released to all theaters. It was released in a kind of like an A-B pattern testing of select theaters just to see how people would feel about it. And they could not keep up with the amount of tickets that people wanted to buy for that limited weekend. So they said, you know what, let's do this. The next weekend, they went ahead and pushed it out to every single movie theater that they possibly could. Well, it did really well in the box office. But speaking of things doing really well, which is our word of the night. <laughs> one of the things, though, though, that well did not happen is we did not get these steaks well done. We cut into these during the break and we ordered these just like any steak should be done, medium rare, because anything over medium is burnt, and sometimes medium is burnt. And we got these medium rare, and my word. Just to go ahead and let you know how great these steaks are and how perfectly well they're cooked, we forgot steak knives. Um, small little slip of what we should have had for this evening. But let me tell you, these butter knives... These steaks are cutting with butter knives. They are, and they are perfectly pink in the middle. And, and when I say cut with a with a butter knife, we're not going at it like a hacksaw. No, it's a couple slices and you're through. It's amazing how tender and juicy and just well-seasoned and balanced these are. And, you know, having tried the all of them, and we're going to leave the hamburger art uh, the hamburger part out of this for just this part of it, but just the uh, the sirloin and the ribeye, you got that almost charred taste to it that you get on a really good steak. And if you put a char on a steak, it's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be perfect or you're going to just botch the whole thing. And this is perfect. There's a there's a fine line between culinary masterpiece and cre and cremation when it comes to steak. And Rusty Duck, 
You've got culinary masterpiece going on here. Yeah, that was a perfect char on the outside, perfectly hot pink in the middle, a lot of flavor, a lot of juices, and just an absolute, just brilliantly cooked steak. Baked potato, nice and hot. Uh, you can mess up a baked potato, trust me. You know, uh, my mom, God rest her soul, when it came to cooking, that woman would have burned water. So I'm not even going to tell you the time that she almost burned on her kitchen cooking baked potatoes, but that that's a conversation for a whole nother day. But these baked potatoes, they're perfect. They're nice and they're hot. They're soft. They just, you know, the butter melts right to them, the sour cream right on it, it perfectly cooked. Now let's take a moment to appreciate these garlic breadsticks. These these are the closest things that I have found out in the wild to Olive Garden breadsticks. Yeah, they are pretty fantastic, and it's a perfect complement to the meal. The The salad was a nice touch because it's not just a lettuce salad. There's a lot of different things going on in this salad as well. And the, the dressing, the raspberry vinaigrette, was absolutely delightful. It it wasn't too tart. It wasn't too sweet. It was a great balance just to go complimentary alongside of the steak and the potatoes. It's just, it was overall a really well-balanced experience. You know, it, it was. And just like, you know, you mentioned cutting through the steak right now, it, this butter knife is just sliding through the steak and, you know, like a, like a hot knife through butter, as they say. <laughs> yes. But let's, let's talk about this hamburger steak. So like I said, I'm not from around these sticks and I've seen hamburger steak on a few different menus and kind of just thought, you know, all right, well, that's just a hamburger patty. No, this if if you want to call this a hamburger patty, this is like this is the big brother to all hamburger patties that you've ever seen. This thing is probably about the size of a small child. It really is. And I was a little cautious when you said to go ahead and order the hamburger, the uh, hamburger steak medium rare, because with hamburger, I have it cooked a little bit more than I would a steak. But I, I took a chance on the hamburger steak, and I let them cook that medium rare as well. And, man, the flavors that are just pouring through this with the onions and the cheese. And, you know, I have a mushroom allergy, so I can't have the mushrooms. So I'm just going to let you have at it with those. The mushrooms are fantastic. And what I love is the onions. They, they, they're they noodly, but they're not they're soggy. They're not soggy. They no. still have a nice little bit of a crisp flavor to them. They complement very well with the cheese, the mushrooms. I, I wish you weren't allergic to mushrooms so you could truly experience how delicious these are. Well, it's my cross to bear, unfortunately, but <laughs> it is what it is. And, you know, it's one of those things I really don't know what I'm missing because I've had mushrooms before and I know what they taste like. I also know that I don't need to be breaking out tonight. Yeah, that wouldn't go down well. No, no it would not go down well at all. <laughs> Yeah, we're having fun with the uh, well puns all night tonight, watching the <laughs> ring. And before we jump back into the um, into the movie itself, let's talk about the Rusty Duck because, you know, first of all, Tom, big thank you to Tom. Tom, you're the man. Rusty Duck, they they know their meats and they know them so well that they actually have a meat raffle every Saturday. Yep, every and it's going to be happening tomorrow. Yes, uh, four o'clock. Uh, they've got a rib night tonight, which is fantastic. And we say tonight, uh, not tonight when we're recording tonight, when you're listening. So when you are hearing this, their rib nights are on Fridays and I promise you their rib dinners are worth, actually, I, I think we are ripping them off. I, I honestly think that their ribs are ridiculously well-priced for the amount of food that you get. There's, this is like a Fred Flintstone portioning of ribs. 
for a really great price. You get a full rack of ribs. You get two, what was it? Two baked potatoes, um, garlic toast. I think you might get a salad with it. I can't remember. But anything, all of it for 25 bucks, And it will easily feed two, if not three people. I don't know. I put down that rack of ribs like it was my job. You did, and it wasn't really pretty. But I will tell you, with the ribs, and I've heard the term fall off the bone before. This is one of those things where if you pick up the bone in the rib, it comes out completely clean just picking up the bone. Yes. That rib meat falls off of that bone. You don't need to gnaw at the bone. You don't need to push it away and cut it away with a knife. That bone came clean. That, that I mean... That rib meat just completely fell off of that bone, and that bone was clean when we were done with it. Yes. So another great thing about the Rusty Duck, they're now open on Sunday, so that way we can watch the football game. So, Clint, if you want other people to sit there and bear witness to what's going to be happening this Sunday in fantasy football where I'm yelling at the team going, sports ball, do things, and legitimately pretending that I know how to be angry at sports. Or if you are a Vikings fan, uh, you know what? Go have a drink at the Rusty Duck because I- I've seen the Vikings play this year. And you you know, as a Browns fan saying this, Vikings fans cannot get through this season completely without a little help from Mr. JD or whatever your poison is. But, of course, do that responsible. And, of course, Vikings fans have got to be putting their, you know, their fists through the TV today was they traded away, you know, um, Yannick Nagagwe, who they gave up a lot of draft picks for in the offseason, and now they traded him to Baltimore today for draft picks. So go on and uh, cure what's ailing you at the duck. Definitely. I know that on Thursdays they have usually two-for-ones. I don't know if they have any drink specials over the weekend, but let me tell you, the food is special enough that go in there and get yourself some something delicious to eat and if you don't want to sit there, they do have takeout available every day starting at 11. Yeah, and they're open 11 to 7 on Sundays, as you mentioned. So you can go watch all of the football. Well, not all of them. You can't watch the Sunday night game, but you can watch almost all the football games on Sunday. You know, watch your, you know, what your fantasy team is doing. And also, you know what? We have not had a bad experience at the Rusty Duck. And, you know, we've eaten there a few times. And it's just, it's just been a delightful experience every single time. Yes, you really cannot go wrong with the Rusty Duck in Dawson. So a big thank you to the Rusty Duck in Dawson for um, obviously supplying our food for the uh, Bigfoot sleepover and, of course, for tonight uh, as we jump into the movie The Ring. Yes. So starting off inside of The Ring, what I find really interesting is this was Amber Tamblyn's really breakout role in movies. You ended up getting to know her really well in The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. She played one of the more prevalent interns on House MD with Hugh Laurie. But this was actually her big breakout role. And the director of The Ring did this purposely. He cast, aside from Naomi Watts, almost an entire league of lesser-known actors because he wanted the focus to be on the movie and not people going, oh, wow, look, it's Kevin Bacon. Or did you see what Brad Pitt just did? Yeah, and that's the old school of thought. Um you know, Friday the 13th did the same thing, but they did it for different reasons. They did it because they had no money. <laughs> and as they did, went through the Friday the 13th movies, as the franchise was making money, they wanted it to be about the storyline and not so much the actors. So, 
yeah, you've got Kevin Bacon, who was in the first Friday the 13th. So, you know, funny that you brought him up. But that movie franchise never really had the big time Hollywood A-listers. And a lot of horror movies do that because A, they don't have the budget or B, in this case, they want the focus to be on the plot and not so much as, oh, wow, look who is playing this role. I also I also have to wonder if some of it was because this was one of the first big it was the first it was the beginning of a big wave of remakes of Japanese horror movies where they were kind of experimenting with the idea of taking foreign horror. So just a quick premise, foreign horror, especially Asian horror, it is more of a psychological ride. It is more about scaring you with things that you can't see, building up the suspense. American horror, a lot of times, buckets of blood, like you were saying, gallons of corn syrup. So it's two different flavors. And a lot of people, I think, speculated on whether or not Americans who are used to lots of on-screen gore and jump scares were going to be pleased with just Asian horror in general. But the success of this, I don't know, paving the way for, like I said, the grudge, dark water, pulse, one missed call. Um, I honestly think that because of this, uh, we had so much success with Parasite this past year. I know that you said you weren't the biggest fan of Parasite. I personally thought it was fantastic. Yeah, that was it really for me. And I know that it won Best Picture, but I really wouldn't call that a horror film. I think you also told me that you fell asleep like 20 minutes in, so. <laughs> 15. So what I what I absolutely love about The Ring is just the, like I said, the amount of lore that it dips into and how even though it's an Americanized version of a Japanese movie, there were still nods, if you will, towards traditional Japanese horror where um, – the, the ghost that Samara is, I talked about Okiku and how the girl climbing out of the well is Japanese folklore, but she's actually based off of a mythological creature called, I'm going to botch this, Onryo, which is a Japanese ghost that manifests after dying, and it's it comes back in a fit of powerful rage, uh, usually returning as a very pale physical ghost to seek vengeance. Also, you know, kind of sort of the plot for the grudge. So this was the entry for the Onryo to start coming into American horror, which I thought was really cool. And you bring up a really good point. You know, in the 2000s, when one horror movie worked, they made multiple movies like it. That goes back to the 70s. Halloween was making, you know, Millions of dollars in the box office. Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller said, you know what? Let, let's rip off Halloween. And they made Friday the 13th. You know, The success for, of Christine. And then you had The Car. Yeah, the Christine, The Car. You, you had in the 80s then, you had The Burning. You had A Nightmare on Elm Street. There were so many different movies that just spun off of one another <coughs> that it became, well, this movie's doing well. We're going to make something that's similar but not quite like it. And, you know, The Grudge and The Ring, two very similar style movies in that sense. Because they both came from the exact same horror director in Japan. Um, it was a series of movies that he created. Uh, Hideo Nakata, I believe is how you pronounce it. He was the guy that directed Ringu. He also did the second part of Ring. 
He also did Juon, which is the Japanese version of The Grudge. He is he's basically an all-star all-star in Japan as far as horror is concerned. He has a nightmare factory of his own. And on that note, it's going to take us into our next break. When we come back, we are going to dive into this movie and talk about the plot of The Ring. You are listening to Katie May's Real Date Night, brought to you tonight by the Rusty Duck in Dawson. Ellingbow Well Drilling is not only your full-service well contractor, but now they do industrial, commercial, farm, and residential wet or dry-back services. Our industrial convac truck can suck up wet or dry material, water, mud, rocks, moldy grains, and more. It also can be used in soft excavation or to clean drainage tile inlet lines or any other material wet or dry. This truck can do it all. For a free estimate, give them a call today at 320-269-8052. Family-owned, veteran-employed, that's Ellingbow Well Drilling. The Rusty Duck in Dawson is open from 11 a.m. until 1 a.m. Monday to Friday, Saturday from 10 a.m. until 1 a.m., and Sundays from 11 a.m. until 7. They have amazing daily food and drink specials, including a daily lunch buffet. Be sure to stop by on Saturdays for their meat raffle. A winner is pulled every Saturday at 4 p.m. To place it to go order or more information, call the duck at 320-769-2544. There's always something good cooking at the Rusty Duck in Dawson. Welcome back to Katie Mays Real Date Night, segment number three. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And tonight we are discussing the movie The Ring and, of course, enjoying some delicious steaks and a hamburger steak from the Rusty Duck in Dawson. A-plus on this meal tonight. Absolutely fantastic. So I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into The Ring. We're starting off in the opening sequence, and traditionally in horror, if you see a couple girls wearing what appears to be schoolgirl uniforms, if you're a fan of late 70s and 80s horror, you usually expect kind of a different outcome from how the opening of this movie is. If you're a fan of older horror, typically girls that are, you know, conventionally attractive and wearing schoolgirl outfits, there would have been some scene of somebody getting chased through the woods and them losing their clothes or something like that expected. The first time I watched this movie, it scared the daylights out of me because I was not expecting a girl to climb through the television. <laughs> And for the scene to go much different than a lot of the old horror tropes that I, you know, loved and followed growing up as a kid went. Yeah, it definitely made it different. And I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, all right, I I was expecting something different. I was not expecting the woods because, you know, they were in a room. But but I see where you were going there. But I, I was expecting something different. I did not expect that opening. It didn't surprise me, and it didn't, like, scare me. It was like, all right, not bad. Just, I, it was, it surprised me because I had no idea what I was going into with the movies. I'm a big fan of going into movies blind, and I remember when I first saw this, I was, ooh, early teens, and this was the first horror movie since when I was a little kid and I saw uh, the original It with Tim Curry. This was the first horror movie that legitimately scared the daylights out of me. I'm still looking for that film <laughs> that scares me just out of my mind. I don't think it's going to happen, especially, you know, almost 40 years old now. I've been watching horror for 36 years, so 
I, I, I don't ever think that I'm going to get that, oh my gosh, that movie scared the daylights out of me. Everyone said that that was going to be The Conjuring, and that movie didn't scare it, it was good, but it didn't scare me. Oh, The Ring terrified me. I've only had three nosebleeds in my life, and the very first nosebleed actually came after watching The Ring. So thus began my now lifelong relationship with insomnia. <laughs> great film, by the way, starring Al Pacino, Hilary Swank, and the late, great Robin Williams. Yes. So one thing I have to laugh at about this movie the the movie is being passed around on an actual VHS tape. And I know that while on break and while watching parts of this movie, you and I were giggling at what will kids, you know, 10, 20 years from now think if they, you know, sit down, they go to watch The Ring and the kids pull out the VHS tape and they go, wow, what kind of Kindle is that? Or, oh, is that an original Nintendo DS? Or what do you do with that? If you have to think about it, I mean, with the sequels, they ended up modernizing and I think they ended up like burning onto DVDs or something or sending it out via YouTube or something. But if a kid 10 years from now or even today were to watch this movie or if you were to hand a kid a VHS, I wonder what would happen. I would watch that film on its own, just watching a kid have to deal with a VHS or handing a kid a Nintendo cartridge and having them go. Yeah, and explaining that you have to wiggle the cartridge a little bit or put another cartridge on top of it. So what I love is this movie, it documents a lot of a lot of just interesting aspects with technology, like when the guy is struggling for cell phone service and he's acting like it is the end of the world not being able to get cell phone service and thinking, you know, back then in 2002, it's like, wow, you know, one day we're going to get a spot where we never have to worry about cell phone service. And then you move to Montevideo and you have T-Mobile. And then you go, wow, we really haven't progressed much, have we? No, that's when you switch to Verizon. <laughs> yep, yep. Can you hear me now? (laughs) Great. So um, I just I have to laugh at a lot of the technology shown in this movie, like where they're, you know, burning copies of this VHS and all of the old tube TVs and everything. And I, I would love to honestly see like a super modernized version of the ring where like she can climb through the screen of your iPhone or like climbs through the screen of like an iPod or, oh God, what if your Zune, she climbs through your screen of your Zune. <laughs> For those of you under the age of 15, a Zune was around for about 15 minutes back in <laughs> 2008, 2009. Oh, it was like 2005. Yeah, actually, it was, you're it was right. actually about when this movie was popular was 2002, 2005 was it, the brief it, blink of the Zune. It was Bill Gates's <laughs> answer to the iPod. And if you've never heard of a Zune, that's why. It was, in all reality, it was actually a great piece of machinery. However, it was not sleek, and it was not stylish, and it was not very well. Well, let's be honest. The advertisements weren't nearly as catchy and fun, so you never exactly saw a kid going, oh my gosh, I want a Zune for Christmas. No, and getting music onto it, you actually had to connect it to something and like download music and then have it shared and then if your memory there it was just that's the same thing with an ipod though like back in the day you had to connect the ipod via a cord to your laptop anyways you had itunes though anyways we're jumping off we're 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 going overboard i don't remember zuni tunes or zuni tune adventures oh go away (laughs) so this movie like i said it has a lot of what is going to be soon antiquated technology but I, i kind of i have to laugh at it another thing that i have to kind of laugh at is her son, Aiden, I, I have a kid around that age. And even though she is fantastic and she is very responsible and very advanced in a lot of ways, what 
kid, first and foremost, calls their parent by the first names, but also is like worrying about if their suit needs, you know, to be ironed and also laying out like their mom's clothes and basically like cooking dinner and breakfast. Like, hey, Rachel, I need my suit ironed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Couldn't reach the ironing board here. You know, short, (laughs) small child problems here. Uh, Just that was one thing that I always found kind of a little bit disconnecting. And I know that in sequels, I think they ended up having like the girl possess him. And that's when he finally starts calling her mom. And honestly, that's actually kind of what made it creepy when he started calling her mom. And I think the sequel. Yeah. And I was just waiting for that kid to put on a hat and go, the harvest is coming. (laughs) Yeah. I just referenced a whole nother movie. So what I love about the ring is the, the movie itself, not the not the actual whole entire movie, The Ring. I'm talking about the short movie that if you watch it, you die. The little little short film. It was, it's honestly really creepy. And it's awesome how they ended up using that little itty bitty short, I think it was like 42 second long movie. They used it as a trailer. It ended up telling you a lot of the backstory of the movie itself. It ended up going into the history, but... Just the way it was shot, it was so unnerving. I love every frame of it. Well, it was so popular that a lot of movies and TV shows, I don't want to say spoofed it, but, you know, Family Guy got a hold of it, of course, and they did a a spoof of it. Uh, Scary movie a little bit, yeah. No, Scary Movie, they had they had the remake of that little short video where they had the guy sitting in the chair that's spinning and he ends up like puking. You don't remember that? I'll I'll show you on one of our breaks. It's it's pretty funny. And I think the biggest example is the the current TV show Kick that I'm on on Shutter. Um, pl- shout out to Adam Green for his TV show Holliston that he made in 2012. And they did an entire episode that was just basically a ring spoof where you, if you watch this video, you had to show it to somebody within seven days or you died. And they found like the worst person that they could find that nobody would miss. It was just this bad, terrible, racist person. And they showed her the movie so they wouldn't die. So it's funny that you mentioned Seven Days. That's something that has always bothered me about The Ring. Now, you know, I've got a really weird educational background and also just, I mean, I'm a strange person in general. A little and bit. Very much so. I accept this. <clears throat> Anyways, in the movie, they end up saying that, you know, oh, it was seven days because that's how long you can survive inside of the well. And I I honestly have to wonder how you come about that. So there's the rule of threes. You can go three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food. And I'm trying to figure out how they got seven out of all of that. I mean, was it because she you know, went down the well head first? Was there internal bleeding? Was there head trauma? I mean, was the water basically septic because of, you know, well, bodily functions? So you're saying is she went the way of Oregon Trail and she died of dysentery. Maybe. And I, you know, honestly, I've, I've kind of been sitting here for years wondering, like, what, what actually caused it to happen in seven days? Well, my theory is... Mm -hmm. A person might be able to go three weeks. You got to remember, she was what, seven years old? She was, I think, 10. All right, 10 years old. Do you think a 10 year old can go three weeks without food? That's going to be kind of rough. I mean, I have an eight year old that goes about 15 minutes without a snack, and then by God, you would think that Hulk smash. Basically, you've seen. So I, it's just, it's, it's just an interesting thought about 
the seven day theory with the movie. But what I what I do love about this movie is it it was simple as far as filming locations are concerned. A lot of a lot of the movie you'd have being shot inside of a cabin, inside of an apartment, inside of an old farmhouse. And you have, of course, the infamous fairy scene with, well, I'm just going to call the horse Sea Biscuit based off of what happened. Secretariat. <laughs> where, Se- Seattle Slough. Where the uh, the horse auditioned for water polo. Which <sighs> that scene has always kind of bothered me. Like, what was it about her that caused the horse to go, like, absolutely batty? Was it because of the fact that... He, Maybe he, she'd seen the movie <clears throat> and everyone connected to that family... Because, you know, when um, the dad explains it, you know, he talks about how all of his horses went basically the way of Old Geller. But in the movie, it's explained that because she made a copy of the tape, which she did at the very beginning of the movie, she was free from the grasp of Samara. So if she was free from the grasp of Samara, then that means Samara wasn't haunting her, which means that the horse should not have gone absolutely crazy when Naomi Watts was there. Well, then again, you know, there's so much to it, and that probably helped explain, you know, she was free from the grasp, but maybe she had the impact around her, other people, because remember, other people were telling her, oh, you've got four days, and this and that and the other. So what's interesting is I've actually been working on a book. It's called uh, The Girl in the Well, and it is based off of a lot of the lore of the ring and of Okiku and of a lot of these things. And it talks about the idea in Japanese, like ghost story history assemblage. The idea is that when there is a ghost or spirit haunting or possessing somebody, that ghost usually is actually sitting on the person's back. Like, do you remember when I had you watch Shudder? Yeah where the spirit was actually sitting on the person's shoulders and was actually on top of them. That is a big recurring theme inside of Asian horror. So there is maybe a part of me that speculates that maybe, even though she made a copy of the tape, Samara was still going along for a piggyback ride, maybe going out sightseeing, if you will. Well, like I said, my theory was that Naomi Watts or Rachel, whatever you want to call her, she was protected in a sense, but not everyone around was immune to it, especially getting closer and closer and closer to the Morgan Ranch. Yes. And the Morgan Ranch, what a wild ride it was over there. The the ranch, you're only over there for a couple scenes off and on. Um the, the first one where the guy reveals that, you know, Samara was responsible for all of the horses going off and being, you know, killing themselves. And then <clears throat> there was another part where they came back and the farmer, well, he expired, I think might be the best phrasing of it. Yeah. Um, he had a shocking end. There we go. <clears throat> he, he invented the original bath bomb. Oh, that's terrible, Clint. <laughs> so, um, and then you had the barn scene where it's revealed that this girl was kept up inside of an attic. And, you know, honestly, if I had been sentenced to climb up and down that long, rickety ladder 
every single time that I wanted to go down to get something to eat, down that rickety ladder. Anytime that I had to go to the bathroom, down that rickety ladder, and then climb up into this tiny little area where it's basically a glorified living room. You know what? If something happened to me, I'm definitely haunting every person that was involved with that ra- with that rickety ladder. Yeah, I mean, you've got the one little tiny TV. You've got, <laughs> you know, you've got no streaming services available, no Netflix up there. <laughs> I'm going to be pretty upset, too. Netflix had really just only started to really exist. I mean, it came out in 1998, but it wasn't until like 2005 that they really started to even. All right. There was no blockbuster video tapes up there. You know, she uh, didn't she have a VCR, though? Of course. Well, she at least had rabbit ears. I mean, maybe she could have picked up like Antiques Roadshow or something. Or whatever presidential debate was going on at that time. Yeah, we we are actually we are actually doing this on the night of the presidential debate and I think we're more entertaining. <laughs> so well, on that happy note, we are going to take our last break. And when we come back, final thoughts on the ring, we will put our final thoughts on this five-star meal tonight and give our rating systems speaking of star rankings of the ring and give you a sneak preview of next week's October finale as we will wrap up our Halloween themed movies and get you ready for family films in November. You're listening to Katie May's Real Date Night brought to you in part by The Rusty Duck. The Rusty Duck in Dawson is open from 11 a.m. until 1 a.m. Monday to Friday, Saturday from 10 a.m. until 1 a.m. and Sundays from 11 a.m. until 7. They have amazing daily food and drink specials, including a daily lunch buffet. Be sure to stop by on Saturdays for their meat raffle. A winner is pulled every Saturday at 4 p.m. To place a to-go order or more information, call the Duck at 320-769-2544. There's always something good cooking at the Rusty Duck in Dawson. Ellingbow Well Drilling is not only your full-service well contractor, but now they do industrial, commercial, farm, and residential wet or dry-back services. Our industrial convac truck can suck up wet or dry material, water, mud, rocks, moldy grains, and more. It also can be used in soft excavation or to clean drainage tile inlet lines or any other material wet or dry. This truck can do it all. For a free estimate, give them a call today at 320-269-8052. Family-owned, veteran-employed, that's Ellingbow Well Drilling. Final segment here on KDMA's Real Date Night. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And tonight we are discussing the movie The Ring and enjoying a an amazing dinner from the Rusty Duck in Dawson. Remember, Friday is rib night. Saturday, they are having a meat raffle at 4 o'clock. Sunday, they're open from 11 to 7. And you can get takeout every day at the Rusty Duck starting at 11 a.m. So we're discussing the movie The Ring. And final thoughts on the movie. I absolutely love The Ring. So I am I'm a big nerd when it comes to just weird aspects of movies. And what I absolutely love is this movie was actually the first collaboration between Hans Zimmer and Gore Verbinski. Gore Verbinski is the director. And they went on to basically working together on everything. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean would have really been what it was if not for the collaboration between the two of them. I I argue that it more than likely would have not. 
but it began a relationship that became really successful between the two of them. And for me, this was one of the, again, one of the first horror movies that I jumped into and really started to enjoy that was more of the psychological. And again, I'm not much of a psychological thriller. I am more of the in-your-face, there is a stalker in a mask trying to get you that no matter how many times you try to kill, he's going to come back for nine sequels and or disappear mysteriously in one of the sequels and have the film not even be about him. I'm looking at you, Halloween 3. <laughs> and then just come back with the return of because you, you murdered the franchise. And I know all of the Halloween 3 fans out there are probably you know, giving me the finger right about now. But for me, this was this was a great way to start a trilogy. You know, they would come out with The Ring 2 in 2005. And then, of course, Rings came out three years ago. Oh, it was horrible. It, it, I, I think they went to the well one too many times. Oh, the well had dried up, but they just, they kept on going. But... For me, this was, again, this was one of those things that it did well. A lot of people capitalized on how it was doing. They did their own versions of it. And it just shows the success of how well this movie did. Yes, this this movie, honestly, like I said, if this if the ring hadn't been successful, I doubt we would have had as much of a Asian kind of influence with a lot of the horror movies that came out starting in the, the early to current 2000s. What's funny is this movie is all about a VHS tape, yet when it was released on DVD, it sold more than 2 million copies in the first 24 hours of that DVD release. Yes. And what I loved was it was one of the few VHS movies that actually was able to contain an Easter egg. So if you rewound when you first got the movie, when you first got it on VHS, it was actually set to be about a minute and a half into the tape reel. So you would start playing it thinking in it now your little tracker would say zero. However, if you pressed rewind, it would go back like negative 130 on your little time clock and it would actually play the movie, the little short film from the ring. So it was one of like the few VHSs that I can think of where they really put some work into the production with its release of making sure that they had some sort of fun things for the viewers and had little hidden Easter eggs. Let me tell you, I bet you it was quite interesting. So somebody sits down, they don't know about that spot on the VHS. They watch the movie, they rewind it. They've got friends coming over. They're like, oh, hey, look, you know, I got that movie. I got the ring. Let's go ahead and sit down. They pop it in and that tape starts. I wonder how many people lost their marbles going, it did do that last time. And I'm sure that was completely by design. And what I find funny, I was reading this during the break, that you mentioned at the beginning that this is one of those, it did not have an all-star cast. Naomi Watts, the biggest name, but she was not the first choice for Rachel. It was first offered to Jennifer Connelly, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, if she, whatever reason she turned it down, but she would go on to do Darkwater in 2005, probably because of she realized that, you know she's kicking herself. And Dark Water was another Japanese remake because they just kept going full circle with that. Then it was offered to Jennifer Love, who, who was coming off the success of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. She turned it down. Gwyneth Paltrow and Kate Beckinsale turned it down. 
And then it was finally offered to Naomi Watts. It was coming off the success of Mulholland Drive at that point. What's interesting is Amber Tamblyn, I talked about her involvement with the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, House MD. She actually went on to appear in another Japanese horror remake, the second version, the second um, part of The Grudge, the American version. And she's one of the very few actors to appear in both a ring film and a Juon or Grudge film. So I, I find it I find it interesting that some of her initial breakout work was rooted this way. Here's a fact I know you'll appreciate. Brian Cox, a gentleman who played Richard Morgan, fantastic actor, by the way. At the same time, he he had either just gotten finished or was getting ready to film his role in the movie The Rookie as Jim Morrison's dad. Um, an amazing actor. He was the only actor that they had even considered to play Richard Morgan. They wanted him. He was the only guy that they wanted to do it. He turned down a part in the movie Ghost Ship so he could do this movie. You know, I don't know if we even have enough time for me to start talking about Ghost Ship, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about Ghost Ship. Ghost Ship is the movie where every single time that I scroll past and I see it, I go, oh my gosh, I loved that movie because I remember the opening scene. The opening scene is one of the absolute best scenes in a horror movie where the line snaps and you just have the intro and it was such a cool idea it was a a haunted version of the Poseidon adventure if you will and just the premise was amazing and I always forget how bad the ending is where it's like they handed the intern an old iMac and they said you know we were gonna go ahead and finish writing this movie but just go ahead pick a pick a song that you like off of your iPod or whatever and just you know throw together a montage and just have that be use a powerpoint presentation for all we care to wrap up this movie it's fine you got this a question that i have been asked is how do you think samara actually kills her victims well i was reading there's a lot of theories out there and the main theory that most people believe in is if you remember in the movie they ask where the pictures come from she says i just see it in my mind and then it's there well, mm-hmm. the main theory that people believe is that she projects all of the images from the curse videotape into the victim's mind at once. That causes such an intense overload that their bodies basically just seem to explode and rot out, which is why they look completely dried out and dead or why they just suddenly have a heart attack at, you know, 17 years old. So that that ans- the, the question it. It can also be, you know, kind of speculated on, like I was saying that I've been working on the book, The Girl in the Well, and I've been, this This is my weird little niche of horror where I really have a lot of time invested in like researching and stuff. So a lot of theories are that um, you saw how the bodies are moved from where they were, you know, kind of ambushed, if you will, to where they end up. So one theory is that she basically briefly possesses them, um, occupies their mind, and their bodies become akin to how her body is. One theory is that she drags somebody down into the TV, drags them down to the bottom of the well, and that maybe time moves differently because she's dead. There are a billion and a half theories. And to be honest, I love every single theory because it shows how this is a movie that conversation can really be based off of. And it's not one of those, well, obviously, you know, it's the midichlorians and their DNA kind of deal. All right. Well, it is now time for our ranking system. Now, let us not go the way of Roger Ebert, who out of four stars gave this movie two stars. Although I've noticed over the years, if Roger Ebert did not like a movie, I went out and saw it because generally I would love it. 
So we've been using the seven star system for the ring. I'm going to give it five and a half stars. I I was going to come in with probably a solid six stars. Is it maybe even six and a half? Because honestly, it was the first movie that really terrified me. It does have great rewatch value. I'm going to I'm going to stick with a six and a half. Is it a perfect seven stars? No, no. Is it pretty close? Yeah. Is it great for a remake? Absolutely. It is one of the few times where I actually preferred the remake over the original. Nine times out of ten, I usually prefer the original, but this is one of those few times. Well, I'm going with the five and a half because solid film, great plot. It was a movie that didn't drag. A little bit of slow burn in the beginning, but there was reasoning for that and they needed to build. For me, I would have liked to have seen in this one who they would have played that next copy for. So I'm going to deduct a star and a half for that. So between the two of us, that means it's an even six stars if you average it out. I feel like if they had done that, though, they would have really lost the incentivization for people to want to come in and watch the sequel. Because if I remember correctly, the second part of The Ring, I know that it had already been, you know, it was inside of the book. I believe it had already been done in Japan. So they had already decided if this works, then we're going to do the second part of this movie. And it ended up coming out in 2005. And if they'd shown that, they basically would have already rolled into the second ring movie. Next thing you know, you have a a new Lord of the Rings type of length of movie. Well, I think if they could have just done a little teaser of who they would have showed it to at the end of the first one, you could have built off and started the second one that way. But it also it also causes a casting issue because if they had shown that person at the end, you know, what if, you know, what if they wanted to show a little bit of a backstory? What if this? What if that? What if they couldn't get that person? One of the beauties of a lot of horror movies, they kill off so many people. That anytime that they make a sequel, it's very rare that they actually are having to pull people back into the next one. True. However, you could also get a solid replacement because let's look at Nightmare on Elm Street 3 that had Patricia Arquette playing the role of Kristen, who was replaced in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Same character, different actress, Tuesday night. Yeah. I mean, I see you, but I feel like with this, they wanted to... I don't know. We can argue back and forth about this for the next six hours, but I think we should go ahead and wrap it on up and let our listeners carry on with their with their evenings. And if they want to watch The Ring and if they want to argue with us about different conspiracy theories, we're more than happy to accept Facebook messages. Fair enough. Uh, dinner, though, seven out of seven stars. Oh, seven out of seven. There's absolutely no comparison. This is uh, this is an overwhelming surplus of meat in the absolute best of ways. And Rusty Duck and Dawson, thank you again so much. Well, on that note, that is going to be all for Josie. I'm Clint, and you have been listening to KDMA's Real Date Night as we discuss the movie The Ring and had an amazing meal from the Rusty Duck. Next week, we wrap up October. So until then, keep it spooky. Spooky.